This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Uh, would y'all turn to uh, Matthew 22 uh, this morning for the scripture reading, uh, chapter 22 of Matthew, and we'll read we'll read the first 14 verses. 1 through 14 of Matthew 22. Would you stand? And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. And then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in and, and to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. And so he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come again before Your throne of grace. Lord, asking that You grant understanding of this passage, Father, uh, as we consider it again this morning, I ask that You enable me to Speak the message you would have delivered here, and Lord, I pray as I do that for clarity and accuracy, and I ask that you enable all of us to hear. Lord, may your truth sink deep in our hearts and minds so that we're affected, Lord, so that we're changed sanctified by Your truth, by Your Word. Grant it, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> if, um, if you were here last Sunday night, <clears throat> then you know that uh, this is the same text that we dealt with last Sunday night. Um, and... What I did was just try to uh, expound on the text, the meaning of the parable, and we put it in context. I'm going to do a little bit of that today for recap. But one thing we did not do, um, because as so often is the case, the clock was working against me back there. Um, so, 
was finish up with verse 14. That's, now, that's what I'm going to really focus in on today. Uh, but I, we need to do that in light of uh, not only the parable, but the rest of the context. So I may mention some things there uh, that will be a repeat of what I said last week. But, but primarily, we're going to focus on verse 14 and Jesus' statement, For many are called, but few are chosen. Now, that's directly following um, the judgment pronounced upon the man who is found to be in the wedding feast without a wedding garment. And I think that statement is, uh, is, is very significant. Um, and again, that's why I'm, why I'm, I'm coming back to it. You know, we just had to pass over it so quickly last week. Um, for those of you that have been here a long time, I, the, the history of this church, at least for quite some time, has been um, one of what many call the Reformed tradition or sovereign grace. Um, so you've got some familiarity um, with, again, what are commonly called the doctrines of grace. I'm, I'll go into that a little bit here in a moment, touch on it uh, for explanation. I'm not going to go uh, probably real deep in explaining all that, but, but we'll have to touch on it a little. Um, but some of you may not. You, you, you may not. You haven't been here that long or you haven't been familiar with, with those things. Um, that's, again, one reason uh, I want to come back to this. Now, what I always try to do, at least this is the goal, uh, is, is to let the text determine what I teach or preach on. Uh, there, there are a lot of things that I, I like to talk about. I mean, all of God's Word is good, right? But, but some things, it seems, kind of affect you more than others, and as a, because, maybe because of our personality or because of our experience, what God's doing and has done in our lives. And there, there are certain things that uh, we can kind of pick up on, and we want to keep coming back to those and keep coming back to those. Um, but one way that, uh, for me, uh, is, a, is a safeguard against that is, is to just let the text determine what I preach. Um, that is, that's one reason that I, that I use this method of going through books. We started, I looked yesterday, as a matter of fact, in case you don't uh, remember like me or in case you didn't write it down. I looked yesterday and we started the book of Matthew in October of 2010. So we've been in Matthew for over a year now and made it to verse uh, 22. And Lord willing, we'll make it. To the, to the end. And, and this is the reason I like this method because it forces you to deal with all of God's Word and even things that you don't like to deal with. And there are things that the flesh doesn't like to deal with. <laughs> okay? But when you take it verse by verse, you, you, you have to do that. Well, this is one that I actually enjoy talking about. Uh, like much of, of, of God's Word, all of God's Word, if when properly, under, properly understood. Uh, I like to talk about this, but again, uh, my purpose for going here today is because Jesus went here in this text. And I think it's important to understand all of what He said here. What does He mean in verse 14? Let me just very quickly recap. What is going on here is a confrontation... By and with the Pharisees, uh, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, and Jesus is answering them and then confronting them, and he's doing this uh, with parables. Uh, for example, we had the parable of the two sons. 
the father tells the two sons to go work in the field. One says, I go, but he doesn't go. The other one says, uh, no, I'm not going, but then he repents and goes. And Jesus raises the question to the, uh, the religious leadership there, which one did the father's will? Well, the answer is obvious, the one who repented and went. He, he, he was rebellious in the beginning. He said, I'm not going, but then he went. And then Jesus goes on to say, I tell you that tax collectors and prostitutes will enter the kingdom of God before you. An implication there is, is that the Pharisees are giving lip service. They're, they're the, the ones pictured in the parable as the son who, who, who I called last week the agreeable rebel. The father says, go, and he says, I go, sir. But then he doesn't go. And the tax collectors and the prostitutes picture those who repent and come to Christ. So the Pharisees are constantly, along with many of the other Jews, are constantly resisting the will of God, resisting the person of Jesus Christ, while others, the last that you would suppose just from the standpoint of human thinking, others are coming in and coming to Christ. And then in the latter part of uh, chapter 21, um, he gives the, uh, the parable of the, the, uh, the landowner and the vine dressers. And again, you have uh, an act of rebellion against the landowner there when the vine dresser comes to, to collect uh, when the servants of the landowner come to collect the fruit of the field, the produce, the vine dressers rebel. They mistreat the slaves. They wind up uh, even killing his own son so that they can seize his inheritance. And so there again, you have the rebellion of the Jewish crowd pictured and their resistance to the person of Jesus Christ, the only begotten son of the ultimate landowner, the God who owns everything who comes to Israel looking for fruit and finds none. Instead, he finds rejection. And then again, Jesus pronounces judgment upon them. Well, here in, verse, in chapter 22, verses 1 through 14, we have once again another indictment in the form of a parable. And what he's really doing is saying the same thing over and over, just a little differently. In each case, indicting them and in each case, pronouncing judgment. Upon them. So this time he uses a wedding feast. The kingdom of heaven, verse 2, is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. So here you have a, a, uh, a king, royalty, putting on a great marriage feast for his son and sending out invitations. He sends his servants to invite people to the feast and he's met with all kinds of excuses, resistance, again, rejection. They, they even take it lightly and they give all kinds of reasons why we, we can't come. And so verse 7 says the king was furious. That is in the parable. The king heard about it. He was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. So those who were invited initially, they rejected the invitation and judgment is brought upon them. And I mentioned before, I think, what we have pictured there in verse 7 is actually a, a, a reference to the coming judgment upon Jerusalem, which Jesus speaks more about in chapter 24, and which did take place in 70 A.D. But this parable goes on to talk about others being invited.
to the wedding feast. The king wants his house filled with wedding guests. So he says in verse 8 to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. That is, those whom, from a... a Human perspective, you might expect to get invited and those whom you would not expect. Probably, again, uh, they're a picture of tax collectors and prostitutes coming into the, to the kingdom. And the wedding hall, verse 10, was filled with guests. And it seems like uh, that would be the end. And if I had written the story which I wouldn't have been able to come up with in the first place, probably. But if I had written the story, that would probably be the end, right? But then we have this sort of strange incident here with this man without the wedding garment. The king came in, verse 11, to see the guest. He saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a garment, without a wedding garment? And he was, he was speechless. And now... Judgment is pronounced in verse 13. The king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now, one thing I want us to notice here, um, we're going to have to look a little bit closely at these two words uh in the way they're used. And I'm, I'm reading here from the New King James Version. In verse 14, it's translated this way, For many are called, so there's the first word, called. Many are called, but few are chosen. Alright? Now let me just run through a few verses here, because I, w- I want you to see the connection here with the wording. Look back for a minute at verse 3. He sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were, were not willing to come. Okay, the word call there in verse 3, he sent out his servants to call those who were invited. The word call and the word invited are two forms of the same word. Kaleo, to, to call or to invite is, is simply what it means. And so it's translated in, in New King James, it's translated both ways in that verse. He sent out his servants to call those who were invited. Who are the invited? Well, this, this is going to be point note number one, so to speak. All right? The invited. All right? We're not through yet. We see them again. In verse 4, same word. Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited. Same word. You jump down a few verses to verse 8. He said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. So, he says to his servants in verse 3, invite those who are invited. Tell those who are invited in verse 4, verse 8. The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. And in verse 9, therefore go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite. Another form of the same word again, this time an imperative. Invite to the wedding. Now, so, the, the whole group before that rejected 
the invitation, were nonetheless invited. They were among the invited. And then, when you get to verse 9, in his response to their rejection, he says, Go into the highways and as many as you find. That is, you go, go and invite everybody you come across, basically. Invite to the wedding. So now, these are also invited. Now, and they come, by the way. And you get down to verse 14. Many are called, but few are chosen. Alright? The word called here, in the translation I just read, for many are called, it's an adjective, but it's, it's the same root as the word invited that we just looked at in verses 3, 4, 8, and 9. So, that could be translated there, invited. For, for many are invited, but few are chosen. Now, the reason I did all that is to show you that that connection. Verses 3, 4, 8, 9 are all talking about the same people that that word called or invited is talking about in verse 14. For many are called. Many are invited. But as we know, some of them refuse. In fact, they made light of the invitation. And so they rejected the invitation. But some of them came. Joined the wedding feast. And even one of them was there who was invited and came. But then was... Dismissed. He was kicked out because he didn't have on a wedding garment. So all of those are the invited. Okay, they all they all fit into that category. Those who were invited and refused. Those who were invited and came, and even the one who was invited and came and got kicked out. All of them were among the invited. Now here's a distinction I, I need to make. This important here. Um, Oftentimes, if you, if you want to understand what a word means in the Scripture, you would, you would look at other places in the Scripture where it's used, preferably by the same author. So, for example, let's say you're doing a study in Galatians and you, know, you come across a word and you're wanting to understand it better. And, well, you might... Also, look at Colossians and Philippians and First and Second Timothy and First and Second Thessalonians and see if Paul used that same word and how he used it in those places. And that may help you understand what he's meaning by it in your passage in Galatians, right? Because you've got the same word and the same author. And then, even better than that, is if you can find more uses of the same word in the same book, you know, by the same author in the same book. Because he's not necessarily, but probably using it the same way in the same book. And even better than that, if you can get down to the same section, you know, chapter and verse. And maybe he's used it more than once and and, uh, it it helps you understand the meaning of it. Saying all that to say this, that 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 usually works. Here's one difference, perhaps. This word that I just explained, invited, verse 3, 4, 8, 9... Generally, when you see it in the New Testament, used in, used in a salvific sense, you're, you're talking about salvation, someone coming to Christ. Uh, 
um, it usually has a stronger meaning. So, when you run across something like that, it's used different over here than it is over here, then you, you have to let the immediate context help you to determine the meaning of the word, right? I mean, those other places will still be helpful, but if he's using it differently over here, then we, we've got to judge by the context it's sitting in um, what it means, and along with other passages that may teach in agreement with this meaning. Normally, let me just give you a couple of examples of that. Normally, this word invited, which is usually translated chosen or, or, or something like that, um, Normally, the way that it's used is just in a stronger way. Here, here's an example. Uh, Romans 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. Well, if you know anything about Paul's experience and how Jesus brought him into apostleship, <laughs> how he brought him into a relationship with himself and, and made him a servant, you know that... Invite is probably not a strong enough word, <laughs> right? Even though technically the word is the same word we're looking at over here in Matthew 22, where, where we're, the king is talking about inviting people to the wedding feast. So technically that's a, a legitimate translation, but mm, you read Paul's account of his salvation experience in Acts, and you're, you're, you're probably not going to use the word invite. And so when you... Read a passage like Romans 1.1. Paul says, I'm called to be an apostle separated to the gospel of God. You understand that it's more like summons. I was summoned. In fact, again, the context there supports that because he says he was separated to the gospel. And, and he goes on to speak about all Christians in that way, uh, incidentally, using the same word, Romans 1.6, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. Interesting, isn't it? You say, well, I understand why God summoned Paul because he had great things for Paul to do. Paul's a great man in the church and so forth. You know, he was part of laying the foundation of the church. One of the original, uh, not of the original twelve, but one of the Lord's apostles uh, in the early church. But the same is true of all the church. Paul says, you also are the call. Now, again, we can try to substitute the word invited there. You also are the invited of Jesus Christ. But, as I said earlier, if you compare that to the other ways Paul's using the word in that context and other places, you know that he's talking about something stronger than that. And so... Summons, or something that has that connotation, is a better way of putting it. Uh, you don't get invited to court, right? You get summoned. That's more, more the idea here. Again in verse 7, Romans 1, 7. Who, to all who are in Rome, this is his address to the Roman Christians. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Again, not invited to be saints, but summoned or called called to be saints grace to you and peace from God our father and the lord jesus christ and you can just go on and on and on romans 8:28 is a well-known passage we know that all things work together for good to those who love god to those who are the called according to his 
purpose. 1 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, called to be an apostle. There again, describing his own calling. Called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Very similar wording to his uh, description of the church in Romans 1. You've been called. You've been summoned. Isn't that awesome, by the way? The word saints there means holy ones. You've been summoned to be holy ones. That's really awesome once you get to Romans 3 and you find out who we were when the Lord called us, right? None righteous. None who do good. None who seek after God. I mean, he describes us, people outside of Christ, us before we were saved. He describes us as being the most unholy things you can just about imagine. And then he says to those same people, you are summoned to be holy ones. Saints. Well, my point in going through all those passages is to show you again that normally that word is used in a stronger sense than invitation. But yet it is the same word here, translated called in verse 14, Matthew twenty-two fourteen, And in this passage, I would say invitation is an accurate translation for it. You could, you could say in verse 14, for many are invited. Because that's the way Matthew, this author, is using it in this immediate context. That's the way he used it in verse 3, in verse 4, in verse 8, in verse 9. Many are invited. And we know that's true because we just saw that in the parable. The, the first group that were invited who were found to be unworthy, picturing again, uh, that's, that's another indictment, picturing the, the Jewish leaders in particular, but all of, the, all of the nation of Israel that rejected their Messiah. And then describing... Uh, those who were invited after that, Jews who did accept the Messiah, and then beyond that, Gentiles who would be added to the church, and even including the one who came and was kicked out. So there you have the invited. All of those people fit into that category. And so that word in other places is used in a stronger sense. But what I'm suggesting to you here is that it means invited. Invited. In this context. Now, what about the chosen? Well, again, verse 14. For many are invited, but few are chosen. And that's a good translation. I mean, chosen are just elected, you could say. When you elect a candidate to an office, that's what we're doing, is, is choosing that person, right? So, chosen or elected. Many are invited, but few are chosen. Now, I'll come back to the word in just a moment, but I want, to, I want us to have this in mind. In this context, he's just, he's just shown us all these different people that are invited Again, including those who originally rejected and then those who were invited as a result of that and came. And again, including 
the man who was invited and came and was kicked out. And he finishes that account with, with, with this saying, for many are called, but few, few are chosen. Again, that, that saying comes out of the situation with the man and the judgment pronounced on him for not having the wedding garment. So Jesus seems to be saying, many have been invited, but few are chosen. The implication being that the ones who were invited and came... And remained were the ones that were chosen. Everybody else was invited, but not chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. Now, let me give you just a couple of examples on this word. Just it, it, Again, it just means to choose um, or to elect. Um, just a couple of, I won't go through a whole list here, but just a, a couple of them. Uh, this same saying, by the way, uh, if you're looking at the King James in verse, uh, uh, we saw it in Matthew 20, verse 16. Um, another example of this word, uh, Matthew 24, when Jesus is talking about the tribulation, again, I think he's, uh, in this particular place, I think he's describing the, the, the judgment coming upon Jerusalem, which again was accomplished in, in 70 A.D., and he says, unless those days were shortened, this is Matthew 24:22. unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Now, that word elect there, the, for the elect's sake, is, is the same word we have here in verse 14, chosen. Well, who's Jesus talking about? In Matthew 24, 22, when he refers to the elect. I think he's talking about the same people he is here, and I'll come back to that in a minute. But Jesus says all of that destruction, tribulation, judgment that's coming upon the nation of Israel for missing the day of her visitation, rejecting the Messiah, all of that is going to have to be cut short, Jesus says, for the sake of the elect. And uses the same word. Um, another one, uh, using that term and, and translated that way is 1 Peter 1.2. Peter addresses the church with that word, elect. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. There you have, uh, incidentally, uh, the, the work of the Holy Trinity and salvation. God the Father electing, God the Spirit separating for obedience or sanctifying for obedience uh, and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. Jesus cleansing by uh, His atonement for our sins. And Peter says that those things are done and accomplished for the elect. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God. And that's the way he addresses the church. He refers to them as the elect. The chosen, to use the word here that we have. It's the same word, um, just translated differently. So you can say the chosen. Peter says to the church, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling. Uh, just a side note here. Yesterday we were looking at, uh, in our men's meeting, we were looking at Romans 1. and uh, We mentioned this in Sunday school too this morning. Paul says, we have received grace for obedience. <laughs> That's amazing. 
grace for obedience. And here, Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 2, you've been elected for obedience. You've been chosen for obedience. It's what we're called to. We're called to obedience of Jesus Christ. And we're graced for it. Um, it's a blessing because uh, we sure wouldn't do it on our own. Okay, so the chosen and the invited are, conversely, the invited and the chosen. The first word, again, translated in the New King James, called, but it means to be invited. For many are invited. And the second word, but few are chosen. So the largest group you have, the many were invited. And out of that many who were invited, there were a few, Jesus says, who were chosen or elected. All right. Let me back up for just a moment, just to kind of drive this home on the on the invitation. The invitation is indiscriminate. And this is so important when it comes to our mission of preaching the gospel. The invitation to come to Christ goes out to all people indiscriminately. The order of the king was, go into the highways and whoever you find, invite to the wedding. That's verse 9. Begin with the first group. They were all invited. They refused to come. Now it goes out to just whoever. Invite anybody that you find. Invite them to the wedding. So the invitation is indiscriminate. It goes out to all. Jesus says, go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So we're never, ever given the responsibility or even the option to pick and choose. That's, that's not our business. We, we, we can't say, well, you know what? Um, that guy over there, he looks like somebody I'd like to fellowship with. You know, maybe if I can win him to the Lord... Uh, I have another brother there in Christ. And uh, that guy over there, I don't know, he looks kind of shady. I better not mess with him. We don't discriminate. The invitation goes out to all. So regardless of ethnicity, regardless of social status, regardless of our personal preferences, you know, I don't like the way they wear their hair, I don't like the way they dress or whatever it is. Forget all that. We take the gospel to them. Invite everybody to the wedding. Again, verse 9, Therefore go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So it's indiscriminate. And even, as we saw earlier in the parable, even people who refuse to come are nevertheless invited. In fact, they were the ones invited originally. So we don't discriminate in any way when it comes to inviting people to Christ. You preach the gospel to every creature. What about... Oh, and incidentally, before I get off of that, even the man who, who was kicked out, he was invited, right? He, this, this is, as I mentioned last week, it's kind of a, uh, a disturbing case in a way. He, he's invited to the wedding... 
and he accepts. And he comes. So you think, well, everything's good. I mean, we took the gospel to him, and he accepted, and he came. What time does church start? I'll be there. And he shows up, and he's enjoying the good time with God's people. And all of a sudden, the king notices. And it's interesting, by, interesting, by the way, that uh doesn't seem that anybody else noticed this. <laughs> doesn't seem. I, you, I mean, you kind of wonder. We'd have to speculate a little bit, wouldn't we? I mean, was there a discussion going on? Why didn't that guy have his garment on? That's not even talked about here. It's like they don't see that. But the king sees it. The king knows he doesn't have his garment. And as I mentioned last week, it, it, it seems apparent that the king provided the garment. Now, I think what you have pictured there simply is, uh, uh, well, one way of putting it would be just simply a, a, a genuine receiving of Jesus Christ. That is, again, I say that because this is an, an indictment, another indictment against the Jews and the Pharisees in particular for their refusal to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. And so they have a form of religion. They've got all the appearance. They're there. They're showing up. They're participating in religious activity. What they don't have is the righteousness of Christ applied to them. And that is a necessary garment for anyone in the king's wedding feast. But the man shows up, he's invited, he comes, he doesn't have his garment, and so judgment is pronounced upon him. So even this man. And this is kind of the uh, the uh, disturbing thing about it, I guess, is because he accepts the invitation and he comes to the feast. But he has apparently, nevertheless, insulted the king by refusing a wedding garment. And so you've got a picture of somebody very religious who nevertheless refuses... The righteousness of Christ. What Paul says about the Jews and Romans. He said about to establish their own righteousness. And in doing that, they won't submit to the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. And you can't come on your own. You can't come on your own righteousness. But all of those people were part of the invited Now, the ones who were invited and came, they're also included in the category of invited, but, but you've, got a, you've got a subgroup, a subcategory. They were invited also, but they came and they have on the garment. They're covered with the proper attire, the wedding, the wedding garment. These are the chosen. So all of the people who were invited and refused to come, were not chosen. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. That's the implication. They were part of the call, invited. Many are called, but few are chosen. And the man who was invited and accepted and came, but seemingly refused the wedding garment, at least he didn't have it on, He's not included in the chosen. In fact, it's at 
the very end of this account, when his case is being discussed, that this statement is comes forth from the mouth of Jesus. Far, verse 14, far. In light, light of what I just said, many, many reject. Some come. One comes who's kicked out. There's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why? Because far many are called, but few are chosen. So there are people that the invitation goes out to who reject. They're not chosen. There are people that the invitation goes out to and they appear to accept and they appear to come. They, they show up. But they won't submit to the king's requirements. They won't put on the wedding garment. They're determined to get in another way. In John 10, Jesus says they're thieves because they won't come through the door. They think there's another way other than the righteousness of Christ. My clothes are good enough. I've got my own wedding garment. Well, you must have the one that the king demands. And so this man also, again, is in the category of the invited, but not of the chosen. And what separates them, in his case, is, is well, there's, there's two things here in the parable. In, in the case of the first people, it's, Their very rejection. The fact that they would not come. It's obvious they're not chosen. Invited, yes, but not chosen. In his case, what distinguishes him from the rest of the crowd, this man, in verses 11 through 13, is the absence of the wedding garment. So there's, there's... Pretense of acceptance there, but at the same time, a refusal to submit. And though it seems to get past everybody else, it doesn't get past the king. And he is removed. Now, all of that to say this. I think what verse 14 is talking about, not not to confuse the issue here, but uh, the, these words do have similar meaning. So what we're talking about here is two kinds of calling. One, I've, I've been referring to all the way through this message pretty much as an invitation, an, an inviting. But the other type, the second word in verse 14 that we were looking at, is the nature of it is a summons. So you've got two types of calling there. And historically, the first one has been called by theologians and Christians a, a general call or an outward call, an external call. And the second one is an internal call or a special or particular call. And they're two different things. So in one sense, they were all called in this sense that they were invited they were all invited. So the outward call goes out. How does it go out? 
through, through Christians carrying the gospel. That is, we take the Word of God to people and we tell them, come, come. In fact, we, we do our best, humanly speaking, to persuade them, come, come to Christ. Because we know that's what they need. We know that's what everybody needs. Everybody needs to come to Christ and trust Him for salvation, for forgiveness of sins and for eternal life. And everybody needs to come and enjoy the wedding feast. There's much more pleasure. These people that show up at the feast and stay, they know where the real satisfaction is and where the real enjoyment is and where the real pleasure is. It's in the presence of the King and His Son. And so we take that message to the world. And that's the external call, the outward call. Come, come to Christ. But in order for that to really happen, in order for them to, 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 to accept the invitation and to submit to the King's requirements, be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, the other call has to take place as well. That's represented by the word chosen here. The internal call. The particular call. Now, that's beyond us. We, we, can't, we can't do that one. That one is God's work alone. We take the facts. We take the message. We take the news. The good news, it's called. And we tell people, you were put here by a loving God. You're created. You bear the image of God. Now, come. Come worship Him. Come love Him. Come enjoy His love. But the one we can't do is what God does. And that's where He takes that message home to their heart. Now, that's the internal call. That's the particular call. The special calling where He takes the good news of the Gospel home to their heart and enlightens them, gives them life so that they can perceive it, understand it, and embrace it. And that's what you see pictured in the guests who come and are clothed in the wedding garment. In other words, to put it simply, they've accepted Christ in a genuine sense. They've submitted to His Lordship. They submit to Him as the Messiah. They submit to Him as the Lamb slain for the sins of the world. The chosen. Let me just, real quickly here, two pictures of that. One, and and these are... um, Pictures from Scripture that, I, that, to me, just perfectly picture salvation. One is from Ezekiel 37. And the prophet Ezekiel is, is shown a valley of dry bones. I mean, the picture there is bleak because they're just bones. Yeah, everybody knows what bones look like. There's no life. Just dry. He even makes a point of saying they're dry. They've been there. They're dead. How dead? They're, they're dead. Dead as you can get. Dry bones. 
And the Lord asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel wisely says, Lord, you know. I mean, he's thinking, I, I don't know. I can't make them live. They look beyond help to me. Lord, you know. I don't know. You, they're dead. How can, how can dry bones live? And then the Lord just tells Ezekiel an amazing thing. Prophesy to the bones, son of man. Speak to the bones. And call for the wind. <laughs> and see, Ezekiel, he just does what the Lord said. He can't make one bone live. He can't make one bone connect to the other one, much, much less form sinews and flesh and get up and live. What he can do is just do what God said. Just speak to the bones. And so he does that. And he calls for the wind. He can do that too. That's what God says to do. Call for the wind. Pray for the power of God. Speak to the people. Pray for the power of God. And God sends the wind. Well, you see that, don't you, in John 3 when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is puzzled. How can a man enter in a second time into his mother's womb and be born again? Now, Jesus says, well, the wind blows where it will. That's the way of saying a man, certainly a man can't do that naturally. Go back into his mother's womb. Can't do it spiritually either. A man can't cause himself to be born spiritually. The wind blows where it wills. And you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. But you see the effect. So Ezekiel just calls for the wind and prophesies to the bones. And right before his very eyes, all these dry bones get up. And live. And there's a great army all of a sudden. Because God put life into them. And the second illustration is this. In John 11, Jesus is called to the tomb of Lazarus, his friend whom he loved. And he loved him so much that when he found out he was sick, he just waited a few more days until he died to go help him. <laughs> And Jesus shows up. Lazarus has been dead four days. And he goes to the tomb and he says, take the stone away. And they say, no, Lord, you don't understand. No, by now he stinks. This is worse than dry bones. He's too far gone. But they did what Jesus said and Jesus speaks to Lazarus. Now remember, Lazarus is dead. It's somewhat like Ezekiel speaking to the dry bones. And one major difference, this time, the one speaking also has the power to give life. And Jesus speaks to Lazarus and says to a dead man, Lazarus, come forth! Now there's no way Lazarus could have under his own power, gotten up out of that tomb. By his own will, just made the decision. You know, I'm tired of being dead. I think I'll get up and live a while. Not going to happen. Jesus gave him life. And with the Word comes power. And Lazarus is quickened and he gets up out of the 
tomb, walks out, hobbles out, I guess, or hops out. Still got the grave clothes on. What a great picture of salvation. What a great picture of the summons we see in verse 14. Many are invited, but few are called, summoned. And Lazarus was summoned. Jesus didn't invite him to come out of the tomb. He ordered him to come out of the tomb. And at the same time, He empowered him to come out of the tomb. And Lazarus came by the power of God. So there's a general call that is just the preaching of the good news. And that is essential. Paul says in Romans 10, How shall they believe on Him in whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So, we must go and we must preach. That's the general call. That's the outward call. But we cannot save. Only God can do that. And for the chosen that Jesus is talking about, with the general call, with the outward call, also comes the internal, specific call. Saul! Saul! Why are you persecuting me? (laughs) Lazarus! Come forth! Moses! Moses! I mean, he calls them out by name. Paul says, I was summoned. I was called, separated unto the Gospel. You see, don't you, why he says, to me, Paul says, and to all who believe, the Gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So Jesus says, many are invited. The invitation goes out indiscriminately. We don't know who the chosen are. We don't know who the elect are. God knows. Ephesians 1 says we're chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. So He knows, and He's always known. He's known from before the foundation of the world exactly whom He's going to save. He knows today exactly who is saved and who's not, who's going to be saved in the future and who's not. Because He's the one that does the saving. And there's no salvation apart from Him doing it. Many are called, but few are chosen. Many receive the invitation. Few receive the internal, specific, particular call. That is... Not just somebody speaking or yelling in your ear, repent and come to Christ, but the Holy Spirit of God regenerating your heart, granting you faith and repentance. So, two things real quick. If you're here today and you know Jesus Christ, you know that by God's grace you're in right relationship to Him through faith in Jesus Christ. You know that your sins are forgiven because of Jesus' atonement at Calvary. You know that you have eternal life. What do you do with this? Give God the glory. 
say like Paul, if God be for us, who can be against us? <laughs> Just give glory to God. Thank God that He is powerful enough to make the dead live. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, or you've got some doubt about that, well, I was baptized, or well, I made a profession of faith back in 1900 and whatever it was, but I haven't really walked with the Lord. If you're here today and you don't know Him and know that He knows you, what do you do? What do you do in response to all this? Well, can I just give you a few passages real quickly? One, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, Come unto me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Are you thirsty? I mean... I mean, spiritually, thirsty for righteousness. Then take the exhortation of Isaiah seriously. Come to the waters. And John, Jesus Himself in John, John 7.37 If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. He who believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. <clears throat> Revelation 21, 6. He says, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And in that same, uh, in that next chapter, Revelation 22, verse 17, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let everyone who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. What do you do? Come. Come to Christ. Come. Taste. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. Come. Drink. Taste. Delight. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. Acts 16, 31. Believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household, they say to the Philippian jailer. What do you do? You come. You come to Christ. Come to Christ. Come and drink from the well. Come and taste. Come and delight in Him. Come come and enjoy His, His rest. In other words, believe on Him. Submit to Him as Lord. Would you stand, please?
we're going to have a word of prayer and dismiss. But I want you, I want you to know if there's anybody here that uh, if, if if you desire prayer, if I can pray with you or you know talk with you, you need something. I'm not in a hurry. I don't have a roast in the oven. You know, I don't need to get home quickly or anything. So, not in a hurry. All right. And and there's myself and there's plenty of other people here too that'd be glad to pray with you. Heath, you mind leading us in a word of prayer, brother? And we'll dismiss. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation, which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.